Well, should South Africa not meet the international standard and compliance rules on money laundering as set by the Financial Action Task Force, it could be added to the FATF's grey list as early as April next year. This could hit investment and business, but more importantly, will certainly knock South Africa's global reputation and standing. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Stephen Powell, Ira Gunning and Amelia Warren from ENS Africa to the show today. And we want to unpack the risks and whether enough progress is being made to prevent this from happening. But I think let's start with, with the basics. What is the FATF and what is grey listing exactly? And, and maybe a little bit on the history behind why South Africa faces this risk. Um, and maybe if, if you want to start, Ira. Yes, absolutely, Evelyn. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I find that a lot has been saying about FATF or FATF or um, FATF, all the same thing, but yep. very few people actually know what FATF is. So what it is, it is an intergovernmental body that sets standards for anti-money laundering and the counter or combating of the financing of terrorism. So it makes recommendations and it's got certain members and because the rules or the recommendations made by FATF would not apply automatically in our law, we are supposed to write it into our local laws. But we must also show them that we are actually implementing it in practice. So it makes the recommendations. Us as a member, South Africa has been a member since 2003. If we don't stick to these recommendations, if we don't write it into our law and actually action it in our law, then they can grey list us for one or two, three years. We can also be blacklisted, be kicked out of FATF. So what is a grey listing? So a grey listing um, signifies the risk that other countries would attach to dealing with individuals and companies, businesses in South Africa um, when they transact with us. For example, investment um, transactions. And if we are grey listed, it shows that we pose a higher risk or signifies to the rest of the world that we're posing a higher risk um, compared to members that have not been grey listed. And that means when they want to deal with us, when when other um, entities in, in fact of member countries want to deal with us, they need to do an enhanced due diligence on us. So they must take extra steps to make sure that we are not financing terrorism, that we are not money launderers. And of course, those extra steps comes in, uh, come in due diligences and they cost money. So it makes it more expensive to deal with us. So it may just be easier not to deal with us. So uh, the history behind our grey listing, in 2019, um, FATF came to South Africa and did a mutual evaluation like they do on all their members. It's a peer review to check whether we are complying with their recommendations. It didn't go all that well because they found non-compliance in about 20 to 40 um, of the areas they evaluated. They released the report last year and then they gave us a period to remediate. And now this month, November, we need to report back to them and show we've been good. What have we done? to fix or to remediate. And then they will reevaluate early next year. And if they find that we haven't done enough, we will be grey listed. So as far as technical compliance is concerned, regulatory compliance, we are in the process of introducing two bills um, yes. to, to, to try and fix the legal side of things. And, and that's where I'll, I'll take a breather, Evan. No, thanks very much. I think it's critical that we get that backdrop important for everyone out there, including businesses, the C-suite executives, the government, 
all of us need to pull in the same direction on this. And a lot of people just, you know, don't necessarily understand exactly the, what the implications are. And certainly understanding the background and, and what's needed is so important. So thanks very much for that. And maybe if we can bring uh, Amelia in on these bills. I think that's quite interesting. I did see the, the finance minister um, uh, table these before Parliament uh, to address these weaknesses. Maybe you can just unpack these a bit for us, uh, Amelia. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Evan. So the two bills are first the General Laws Anti-Money Laundering and Combating Terrorism Financing Amendment Bill, which is quite a mouthful, so the General Laws Amendment Bill for short. And the second is the Protection of Constitutional Democracy Against Terrorist and Related Activities Amendment Bill, or the Pactatara Amendment Bill. So both bills are currently under consideration by the National Assembly and essentially, as their name suggests, they amend our existing legislation to tighten our laws to curb money laundering and terrorist financing. The General Laws Amendment Bill aims to amend five pieces of legislation, including the Companies Act and the Financial Intelligence Center Act, or FICA, and the Pactatara Amendment Bill um, aims to amend the Protection of Constitutional Democracy Against Terrorist and Related Activities Act. As to the question of whether these bills will help avoid grey listing, both bills are addressed at remedying a number of the deficiencies that were identified in the Mutual Evaluation Report, as mentioned by ERA. So, for example, the General Laws Amendment Bill addresses the issue of beneficial owners. Um, which was one of the concerns identified in the ME report. So our current legislation, our Financial Intelligence Center Act, does include a concept of beneficial owners, and it essentially defines beneficial owners as natural persons who directly or indirectly control um, or own legal persons. And FICA places an obligation on accountable institutions who are regulated by the Act um, to get information about beneficial owners. And Amelia, if I can just step in there, what we found with our banks and our accountable institutions in South Africa, it's been so difficult. We've got this obligation mm. to find the warm body, the person who pockets the funds, the yep. person who would stand to benefit from, from any money laundering. But we don't have currently, and I'll hand back to you now, Amelia, to speak about that, but we don't currently have an ultimate beneficial owner registry in South Africa. So, for example, in the EU, you have one. So it's easy there to check who the UBO is. We don't currently have that in South Africa. So these amendments aim to getting this registry in place so that we can actually easily find out who the warm body is. Sorry for interrupting you, Amelia. Carry on. No, absolutely. So the issue is that we don't have um, supporting legislation to help um, gain information about beneficial owners quickly and efficiently, um, as you mentioned. So one of the amendments is to the Companies Act to introduce a definition of beneficial owners and create a mechanism for the Companies and Intellectual Properties Commission to keep information about beneficial owners, as well as creating an obligation for companies to keep records about beneficial owners. So that really addresses the concern um, as identified in the ME report.
There are other uh, amendments under the General Laws um, Amendment Act, including an amendment to FICA, specifically strengthening the role of the Financial Intelligence Center. So, for example, there will now be a mandate placed on the Financial Intelligence Center to produce forensic evidence, um, and it will be able to request information from other organs of state. So those changes, again, they just bolster the existing bodies and mechanisms that we have um, to address money laundering and terrorist financing risks. Then in terms of the Pactatara Amendment Bill, this um, bill in part updates the legislation. So for example, it will now incorporate cybercrime into the definition of terrorist activity and modernizes it in that way. And it also brings it in line with international conventions and standards, which was another one of the findings in the Emmy report. So ultimately, both bills are aimed at addressing the recommendations and deficiencies. And so they are likely to help with past in time, or at least they're likely to bolster the argument that South Africa should not be greylisted. Yeah, thanks very much. I think critical stuff, and I think it's a nice bundle of, um, you know, of, of action and steps that are being taken. But we need to address the elephant in the room. Has South Africa done enough? And now I really want to bring Stephen in here, you know, an absolute expert in the field, you know, is involved so closely with so many issues um, on the ground in South Africa. Um, Stephen, that's the, the big question, right? Have we done enough? And I just wanted to add a rider to that. If you look at recent history in Africa, and I saw Mauritius recently, you know, got off the grey listing list. I was, it was quite fast. You know, it was like just over a year, I think. February 2020, they were grey-listed. But the thing is, when they were grey-listed, their GDP was impacted significantly. I mean, that's 1%. Something South Africa just can't afford at the moment. So just with that backdrop, um, you know, have we done enough? Absolutely. Critical question, Evan, and something which we will get the answer to shortly. Mm -hmm. And I know the experts have mixed views. Experts like Intellidex, which is a research and consulting business that looked at this issue specifically and they came up with the finding that there's a 85% likelihood that we will be grey listed. I'm optimistic that, you know, government is showing the FATF that there is a genuine intent and commitment and, and a will. The political will is there to fix the problems in our AML regime. And in addition to the amendments that Amelia referred to earlier, one of the things that happened just two weeks ago, we saw the Financial Conduct Authority issued a declaration and they have brought the crypto assets, which is a vehicle for money laundering at the moment under the supervision of the Financial Services Conduct Authority. And I think that already shows, you know, it's another piece of law that we've passed to try and avoid blacklisting. And I'm hoping Evan, that we will demonstrate to the FATF that we, we are trying to fix the problems and that there is enough in place. Yeah, that's fabulous. That's great to hear. I think uh, a lot of commentators are kind of, you know, middle ground to a lot being negative, saying that we are going to, you know, be blacklisted. Some people even saying that it may be the right medicine, you know, to ensure that we get things fixed. But certainly listening to you, there's a lot happening here, probably a lot more than people are aware of. And and it's all, you know, it seems quite positive. But the, the, the big element here is criminals. You know, they're always a step ahead. We're seeing it with certain banks as well. The sophisticated nature, and I'm glad you brought in the cyber element of, of these crimes, you know, uh, makes this uh, pretty tough, you know, and how do we actually ensure that we, you know, it's, it's fine having these things now, but how do we keep ahead? 
absolutely good point, Evan. And, and that's the problem we face is that the criminals keep evolving and they become even more sophisticated. And we've seen just cryptocurrencies, which created a new vehicle for money laundering. And at least we've already put measures in place to regulate that new area. The cryptocurrency dealers are not too happy with supervision. But if you just take a practical example, you know, if you want to send money abroad, and you want to do it with your bank, you're going to have to answer a dozen questions, you're going to have to explain what it's for, who it's going to, what it's all about. But you can go and do a crypto transfer or buy cryptocurrency just on the internet and do a transaction in seconds without supervision. So I think that was a critical gap that we have addressed. And when we look at addressing these criminals, the problem is the authorities need to be ahead of the game. Yeah. And at the moment, it looks like the criminals are winning when it comes to both money laundering. And the other important element not to lose sight of, Evan, is terrorist financing. Yeah. And there, you know, there are a number of areas that have been identified as risk areas to the South African government. And that's things like the governance around NPOs, non-profit organizations, who runs them, what what are the flows of funds linked to, those can often be used as vehicles to facilitate money laundering and terrorist funding. And we are in the process of upping our game when it comes to those uh, non-profit organizations, but there are other areas of business in South Africa that needs to do more. And when we look at those, they, they refer to them in the fight of mutual evaluation report as designated non-financial businesses and practices, and those include the lawyers and the estate agents. And I'll just give you a practical example. You know that I've acted for the asset forfeiture unit on yep. multiple occasions, seizing assets of drug dealers and these big drug lords who are never caught with their hands on the drugs. Mm. They're always using their foot soldiers to go and sell the drugs. But they have massive assets, massive estates. And when we look at those estates, you see they've got lots of properties, lots of sports cars, but they don't have a legitimate income. And the problem we've got is that conveyances, estate agents have all dealt with the transactions when they acquire these properties. Banks have processed some of these transactions and lawyers have drawn up agreements and documents and the conveyances have registered the transfers. Each of those role players has a massive um, role to play to make sure that they identify potential money laundering and that they get comfort around source of funds. So understanding the client KYC and, and there's a term that is used called CDD, customer due diligence is so important to prevent. And then going back to your question, Evan, We've got to build capacity in the Hawks and the NPA to make sure that they understand money laundering and terrorist finding and that they've got the tools and the equipment to deal with it. And currently, as we stand today, the digital forensic capacity in the police is extremely limited, stretched and weak. And enhancing that is going to be a long term project. And that's where I think I'm hoping FATF will also give us some leniency that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day yeah. and recapacitating the state to deal with these complex crimes is going to take a while. So let's look at that worst case scenario. Come April next year, we are blacklisted. Let's assume we are. And I just want to bring Mauritius back in there. February 2020, October 2021, they were removed, right? So even in the worst case, if we just keep on working, I mean, you can get out of this quite quickly, right? 
You can, and and typically countries are on that grey list for a lot longer than oh, Mauritius. Mauritius yeah. has actually set records, and they've oh. done remarkably well. Okay, no, that's that's brilliant. No, that's good to know. Yeah, I think uh, I think we, you just get the act together, you know, as early as possible, and just keep working it. I think that's the message, which is brilliant. Um, and then I just wanted to look at, you know, we we have had you mentioned some of these. Um, high-profile uh, cases that, that we are seeing in South Africa. Um, you know, but it, you mentioned the sectors, and we, you know, we often just zone in on the banks, but it's, it's a little bit broader than that. In some respects, South Africa is quite far ahead, right? Exactly. South Africa has a sophisticated regime when it comes to anti-money laundering. We've got good laws, and, and they do need some enhancement, and the enhancements are currently underway. But if I just look at the banks, the banks have got armies of compliance officers and they police money laundering. They really do a diligent job when it comes to AML. And one of my concerns around FATF, even considering grey list in South Africa, is it seems so unfair when you compare our systems, our controls to some of the countries that are on the grey list and, and that have been placed on the grey list, like Turkey, Gibraltar, Malta and other jurisdictions. I think we are streets ahead of many of those jurisdictions when it comes to our controls. And we just need to do a bit more when it comes to the enforcement of these laws that we have in place and the new amendments that will be in place soon. And that's where I think what has happened is, you know, state capture has laid bare some of the deficiencies and the corruption that happened under the Zuma regime. And repairing that is going to take some time. But I'm hoping that we will demonstrate to the FATF that we are doing enough to deal with the exposed parties by the Zondo Commission. And things like the arrests just last week of the Coco family, Coco and all these cohorts and the businesses that seem to flourish from massive contracts at ESCOM, those arrests sent quite a strong signal that we are trying to proceed to... to just take action against the recovery of the proceeds of crime from these perpetrators that were involved in state capture. And the Transnet perpetrators have also been arrested. Yeah. One of the criticisms of the FATF was that South Africa wasn't doing enough to target the state capture offences. And I can see the NPA is making a concerted effort to bring those parties to justice, Evan. Brilliant. Yeah, I agreed. I think that, that just sends that right message out there. And as you say, we need now the prosecutions to happen, uh, which is, is, is going to be critical, but seems like really good cases have been built. And then I just wanted to conclude, and maybe all of you can just jump in and, and give a, a, a quick view, but your advice to businesses out there, you know, there's a, there's a lot happening, a kind of everyone seems to think the legislation has to be passed and, and, and that's enough. That's not enough. You know, what is the advice to businesses out there in the build-up? What can they do? Businesses out there, even if I can jump in first sure. and then hand over to my colleagues, Ira and Amelia, in my view, businesses have to really put KYC, knowing their customer and also doing the customer due diligence on, on the top of their radar screen. It's got to become a priority. We all have a role to play when it comes to preventing money laundering and terrorist financing. And we shouldn't be resisting these additional controls that are underway. We are going to have to identify who the ultimate beneficial owners of businesses are. So my advice to businesses right now is start asking those questions. When you want to engage a business partner or a customer, understand who that customer is, where they get their funding from, 
and ask all the right questions and do the enhanced due diligence, this regulation and requirement is coming. Get prepared for it. And then for larger businesses, it's so important that you have anti-money laundering policies, procedures and controls in place. You know, nobody, I, I often get the message from our clients when we look at putting in governance and controls. They say, Steve, we don't want to become a bank. We don't mm -hmm. want to go through a whole lot of bureaucracy, yeah. but we've got to find the right balance and make sure that as businesses, we're doing enough to play our role in preventing money laundering and terrorist financing. Thanks, Simon. Fabulous. No, that's great. Sage input there. Appreciate that. Um, uh, uh, Amelia Erod, any any additional input on that point? Uh, Evan, Stephen said it so, Stephen said it so eloquently. Yeah. But what I want to add is we all need to play a part in avoiding grandisting. And if we are being grandisted, to get out of it as soon as possible. Mm. So in a nutshell, don't complain when your bank or somebody else is fikaing you. Yeah. Supply <laughs> the information. Are we also quick to complain mm -hmm. when we see our accounts have been frozen and the like? We yeah. all need to play our part. Thanks so much. Brilliant. Amelia, you you happy with, with, with that? Any additions? Yes, absolutely. Just one thing that I would add, which builds on what has been said, is that one of the findings in the report spoke to how um, at times organizations in South Africa comply with AML laws in a sort of tick box exercise. Mm -hmm. So not going to the heart or the objects of the acts in question, but just um, sort of complying on a surface level. So just to agree and say, um, trying to delve deeper into the objects of the act and comply as far as possible, not just on the surface, but um, as doing as much as can be done. Brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to all of you. Um, some really powerful inputs there. Um, I hope the, the corporate sector is listening. Uh, a lot of work to do, but uh, if we pull together, we can get through this. So thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Evan. Thanks so much, Evan.